just an introduction quickly. This book was written probably about AD 60. It was written by Jesus' own half-brother, Jude. He had, uh, well, James, who was the, the head of the church in Jerusalem, was Jesus' half-brother. So was Jude. And guess what? They didn't believe in him when he was, when he was around. But they don't name drop. They just say, well, he introduced, he doesn't even mention he's a brother of Jesus. He says, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to read a bit more this morning. Uh, we just did the, fir- the first four verses, and I'll do a very quick recap in a moment. But um, we'll go down to verse 21 today, okay? So Jude, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says this. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I love this word, beloved. That's you guys, beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designed or designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of Egypt. Notice how he says there, Jesus. It was the Old Testament. But Jesus was there, pre-incarnate. That means before he had a body. It was Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is sobering stuff, folks. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, Reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like, by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea. Casting up the foam of their own shame. 
wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. This is strong stuff, do you not think? It was about these Enoch, the seventh after Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed to, in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Wow, that's strong stuff, folks. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, how many people believe we're in the last of the last time? In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, you, beloved, <laughs> love this, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Let's just stop there. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I want to thank you for our salvation. I want to thank you, Lord, that this morning those who put their trust in you are secure forever. And I pray, Lord, as we look at these challenging words that you will really help us. Lord, help us as a church to be attentive to you, to listen to you, to obey you, to follow your word. Lord, I pray that in this shaking time that we live in, that we will know that we stand upon the rock that cannot be shaken. The Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all your saying and doing in our lives. Have your way this morning, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right, really quickly, recap from last week. We, again, we gave a quick introduction to the book of Jude, written by Jesus' half-brother. Look at verse 2. Sorry, the second part of verse 1. It's written to those who are called. And what we looked at last week, that we're called. You didn't come to Christ by chance. Oh, well, you know, a few things have happened in my life. I've, I, I, I kind of, have, God seems to have just turned up. God called you. But you know what the interesting thing is? No one person in this room is the same. No one story is the same. There is not a uniform way of coming to Christ. But you had your journey. And you this morning, if you have given yourself to Christ, are his forever. He's called you. But he's not just called you to sit on a, I said last week, on a blue seat in West Horton until he comes back. He's called you unto a purpose. He's called you. You young guys at the back, sitting on those easy chairs. He's called you. For your generation. Because this generation is godless. I, so I think Josh said to me the other day, is this a Christian country? I said, 
there is no Christian country. Sadly, our country was, was birthed on Christian values. But do you know what? They're sliding. I drove here this morning. And I always pray. I, 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 I picked up our great friends in Hindley on my way through. You know, Hindley, every time I drive through Hindley, I feel a little bit of an urge to think, Lord, what do you want to do here? What are you doing here? Well, do you want to do something here? But I looked as I drove up the main street of Hindley from where we live, coming up towards West Horton, and I happened to look down the right street, and there's an angling shop down the side street. It's a church building. Now, listen, I'm not getting into all this, but I, it was almost like my, my mind cast back to years ago when Sunday was a day of rest. Does anyone remember it? Now, I don't know what you think about that. I was brought up in a Christian home. It was quite religious. Blessing my mum and dad. Dad never bought the paper on Sunday. He wouldn't buy anything on a Sunday. And when I was about four, guess what happened on one Sunday afternoon in our little close in Liverland and Liverpool? The ice cream man came down. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. A little tune. The Pied Piper. Everyone came out of their gardens and formed the queue. And I got in the queue. And I got to the little thing. I was a little four-year-old. I think I was four, but I was very small. I remember it. And when I got to the queue, I looked at the ice cream and I said, why are you selling ice cream on God's day? Now look, that was the way I had been kind of brought up. But Sunday was a special day. Now for the Christian, really, I've come to an understanding now that every day is God's day. Don't please be find this thing like that. You know, I knew, my dad meant well. My, one of my favourite films is an old movie, part of which was filmed in my school. Anyone seen Chariots of Fire? Beautiful film. I cry, much to my kids' chagrin when we watch it. I cry in it. I cry in it when I watch Little, who wouldn't run on a Sunday. And Schultz, the, I think he, was, he ran in the 400, he was, a, he was a 100 metre runner a little. And he went into the 400 metres instead. And Schultz, who was the world champion on the Monday, Little went in the other race. And the bit I cry every time I watch it is when the actor goes to Little before they start, hands for a piece of paper. And they're just about to start the race. Little opens the paper. He who honors me, I will honor. He who honors me, I will honor. Little won the race. Beat shots, got the gold medal. A bit little, you know, left all that and died on the mission field. Gave his life to God. Called. You are called. You're beloved in God. God loves you. But I talk about this nation. I walked, drove through Hindley and I saw these, and I saw, and I thought, oh, how life's changed. It's just rushing, isn't it? It's busy. Life's busy. Life's 100 mile an hour. If you want to have a Sabbath, that's fine. But a Sabbath basically is made for you, it's made of rest. And do you know what? The word for some people in here, you're too busy. And plan to say that. You need to take a day off. 
I don't mean, you know, don't buy ice cream. <laughs> Take a day off. Find a place where you can rest your soul and, and, and find the rhythms of grace. Um, so, you're called for your beloved in God and you're kept for Jesus Christ. You know, you can never be the same. When you've come to Christ, you might think, I don't know about this. Christian thing, I kind of, I'm not sure really, I, I, I feel like I've been conned. No, you haven't been conned. Before the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ. Nothing that the old enemy will whisper in your ear can stop that. You are called, you're loved, and you're kept. You must know that before we get into this other stuff. Because there's some pretty heavy stuff in this, in this chapter. But you know, the greatest thing that the enemy has always gone for is to doubt our salvation. Loves to spread doubt in your mind. And we've said many times from this platform, many times, it all went wrong in Genesis 3, in that paradise garden. But how did it start? The enemy came to them and to Eve and said, did God really say, if he can get a chink of doubt in your life, he's in. Now this book here is a challenge to us today. Because though this was written in the first century, I believe it's got so many things to say to the church of Jesus Christ today. Look at verse 3. Just look down. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago we're designated for this condemnation and godly people who pervert or twist the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think we're going to get much beyond there today. But you see, there's an attack on the gospel today. There's an attack on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there always has been. All the way through your Old Testament, you'll see the people that God chose for his purpose were always under attack. It wasn't an easy ride. It was tough going. And life down here is tough. Anyone having an easy life? <laughs> if you were told that when you became a Christian that you would just float through your life on a cloud, you were given Duff Gen, as you say in Liverpool. You were given Duff Jen. That's not true. It is a challenge. But God is with us. Do you believe that? But the Bible's under attack today. And do you know one of the biggest places it's under attack? Who said that? In the church. What? 
It's true, folks. The gospel is under attack. This book is under attack. Full of stuff in the New Testament about warnings about that. Lovely verse in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Anyone know what that says? It says, all, all Scripture is what? God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed. God breathed it out. Well, did, did God write it? No, he breathed on chosen people who he inspired to write a word. And this book, through the centuries, is still here. I believe it's still the bestseller in the world. Why is it under such challenge in China and other places and communist countries where they wanted to destroy the book? Why is it that in our own nation, just a few hundred years ago, men like Wycliffe, anyone heard of him? Do you know what happened to him? Burnt at the stake for the truth of God's word. You know, for many, many, many years, the Bible wasn't available to you. It wasn't available for the person to read. It was all read by the priest. And if you come from a Catholic background, I don't know if you do, but I know for a fact that it was only in the 70s that the Mass became English even. It was all in Latin. But you just, these people just went along and trusted that that guy knows, he knows he's the, he's the go-between. There's only one go-between. Between man and God. The man. Christ Jesus. He's the go-between. I'm not your go-between. I'm just an ordinary guy who has the privilege of leading here. God's given me a task to do. But I'm like you. Challenges. Struggles, I have to come to God. Every day. I'm not a special man like that. There is none. There was only ever one. And he's the one to whom we confess our sins. And he is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But this book's under attack. Colossians, let me just read this to you. Paul, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And if you read Colossians, a wonderful book, it's all about how supreme Jesus is. If you lose sight of who Jesus really is, have a read of Colossians this afternoon with your feet up in the garden. Enjoy it. And see him on his throne. He is the very image of God on flesh. But he said this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Did you notice the back of our reading? We says, he said, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith. See, when you're part of a church, what we do together like this, we want to establish each other in the faith. There's no such thing as going alone Christianity. There's no such thing as that. You may think, well, I can be a Christian. I don't really need to go to church. Church is, is I don't need it. I thought you'd come to Christ, it's free. Let me just read you. I would use this yesterday in something I was doing. Anyone heard of John Stott? Great vicar, good, godly vicar, who's now with the Lord. He said this, I'm assuming, and he writes this in his book, The Living Church, I'm assuming that we are all committed 
to the church. Are you committed to the church? We are not only Christian people, we are church people. We are not only committed to Christ, but we're committed to the body of Christ. At least I hope so, Stott says. I trust that none of my readers are that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. An anomaly, an unchurched Christian. Ooh. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. For the church, West Horton Family Church is part of it, West Horton Family Church lies at the very centre of the eternal purpose of God. Wow! Do you know that you're at the very centre of the eternal purpose of God sitting here this morning? Wow! It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. Conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and will be perfected in a future eternity. That's a big quote. I didn't quote it. Read it all. But there's no such thing as someone who's really going to grow in God by just reading your Bible at home. We were on the weekend away and Andrew Owen introduced us to two, two lovely people who were in every church and in every DC group the world over. Do you know what their names are? Well, there's a few of them actually. Mr. and Mrs. Sandpaper. Has anyone met them? Oh, there's some single women as well in the church. Might have met these. Miss Understanding. Has anyone met Miss Understanding? But you know, the Lord, by His grace, allows all these characters, which we're all a motley crew, aren't we? I often say that. We're a motley crew. But God's brought us together because He's working out His purpose in you and in me. Wow. Do you think the disciples were all just clones? Do you think they all just had a nice time on those boats when they were out fishing and stuff? Do you remember what it was like when the storm came and Jesus said, we're going the other side? I'm just going for a kit, boys. It's been a busy day. I'm going to go have a sleep. You carry on. And a storm came. Everything's going really well at the start. John would have had his guitar out on the deck, strumming away, I love you, Lord. And everyone, oh, that's a lovely, lovely melody. It's just sunny on, on Galilee. It's lovely. Oh, let's just lift our hands. And there was this wind started, see? And all of a sudden, he sm he also, he broke a string. Oh, he broke a string again. Always doing that. Next thing you know, they're all arguing. You wake him up. We're going to die. They forgot they got the creator of the universe asleep in the bottom of the boat. The church, what a beautiful thing. But he goes on to say, see to it in your church that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of this world, human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, that's godness, dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. Wow, and he goes on. But don't let anyone take you captive. And do you know what the sad thing is today in the church of Jesus Christ? There's lots of philosophy. There's lots of pep talks. Your best life now. Now I believe in living your best life for Jesus. But it's not always easy. John the Baptist. Know much about him, Jesus' cousin? In the flesh. What happened to him? Anyone know? His best life now. Lost his head. The first martyr, Stephen, which broke open the church, martyred. But you see, your best life now, this is just a temporary phase, folks. Hear what Stott said? The eternal purpose of God. You've been called into it. I want to tell you, this morning, you are his. Don't let philosophy come into it. We've got to rightly handle this book. Does anyone know this book is dangerous? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Do you know who it's dangerous to? It's dangerous to two types of people. It's dangerous to the powers of darkness because if, if you read it with the eyes open of the revelation of your heart, you'll see who God is and who you are. And that what Jesus has done for you it's dangerous to the powers of darkness. He doesn't want you to read the book, you know. Anyone get distracted when they read the Bible? Or anyone think, oh, I'm too busy today. Read the book. It's dangerous to the powers of darkness. But it's also dangerous to the church. Because it's possible to make it say all sorts of things it's not saying. I can't go through there trying to find, think, I'll preach on a subject this. What shall I preach on? Let me go and say, I know what I'm going to preach on. Oh, I'll preach on having the best life I could possibly have now in a Caribbean bliss. Right, let me get my concordance. Where can I find, is the word bliss in here? Bliss? Oh, there's something about bliss. I'll use that. I'll jot that verse down then. Caribbean. I don't think that's in here. It talks about the nation. Yeah, oh, and I start to put verses down willy-nilly from all over the Bible. The next thing you know, I'm not preaching the truth. I'm preaching what I want the truth to be. And that's not what I've got to do. I can only preach this book in its entirety as it is. Which is why when we read Jude, We've got to go through the tough verses. We've got to go through the hard stuff. This is not just, you know, a nice Caribbean cruise to heaven. There's times when we've got to really say, what is God saying about our generation? And there's some tough things he says. We've got to rightly handle it. You know, the Bible, Hebrews 4 describes, anyone remember what it's described as a what? A two-edged? It's a two-edged sword. You've got to pick it up. You've got to handle a sword, right? But you cut yourself. Honestly, Timothy, again, loads of scriptures. Paul says to Timothy, this is to me. This is a, a, a word to me as a, as a pastor or leader of a church. It says this, 
do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Avoid irre irreverent babble, <laughs> for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And this was going on then in the church. Rightly handling. What am I like? Can I handle it? Can I handle this weapon? Great hero of some of us in this church is Mr. Spurgeon. Mr. Spurgeon said this, He that rightly handles the word of God will never use it to defend men in their sins, but to slay their sins. If there be a professing Christian here who is living in known sin, listen up, shame upon you. And if there be a non-Christian who is living in sin, let their conscience upbraid them. What will they do in that day when Christ comes to judge the hearts of men and the books shall be opened and every thought shall be read out loud before an assembled universe? Wow. I desire to handle the word of God so that no man may ever find an excuse in my ministry for his living without Christ and living in sin. But may know clearly that sin is a deadly evil and unbelief, the sure destroyer of the soul. He has indeed been made to handle a word aright who plunged it like a two-edged sword into the very bowels of sin. Whoa. Good old Spurgeon. Do you like that? That's passion. The word of God's got to get in you. And do you know what? If you're in sin, shame on you. And what I would say is we sin, don't we? We make mistakes. I'm talking about when you live in a sinful lifestyle. You think, I'm not bothered. I'm just going to live this way. You can't do that, folks. God's calling you to a holy life. A life set apart, called of God, loved by Him and kept for Him. Two dangers that I believe Jude has to say to us today. These men who come into the church, people who come into the church. Do you know, years ago, my dad, bless him, I always mention him, don't I, was a good Bible-preaching vicar. There weren't many of them in his day. Do you believe that? Someone wanted to talk about flowers and flower arranging on a Sunday and the rotary and different things like that and the nice things of a respectable middle-class society. And everyone sat there. And he went to a church like that in Liverpool, in a place called Springwood, which is the south end of the city. And he arrived there and he said, I don't want to come here. He was offered this church. He said, it's just, there's no gospel. It's just a social, a religious social club. And he felt the Lord saying, well, you know, go and meet them. He said, I need a glimmer. His dad said, I need a glimmer, Lord. I need a glimmer of the gospel. And he went to a meeting, and it was an old Second World War bomber pilot called Len James, ex-policeman, and a lay reader. Does anyone know what a lay reader is? Sounds very formal, doesn't it? A lay reader is, they'd wear all the kit, the surplus and all that, but they weren't a vicar, but they would help. So they'd do a bit of preaching and help out with this. That's a, so they're a lay person, but they were in the Church of England. So Len James is one of the, he's a lay reader. 
Somebody's saying, give me a glimmer, Lord, give me a glimmer. And they're all talking about, oh, the church hall's fantastic for, for ballroom dancing. And we have bingo and such and such, and it's packed out. My dad's thinking, that's not really my bag. I'm not really about that. And he's like thinking, this is getting worse. And then they went around the room, and this Len James, he wasn't a Christian. He was a lay reader. He would say himself, I didn't know the Lord, but I was religious. And he says, he says you know, he said, guys, let me just say something to you. And my dad's listening. And Len James says, you know, I wasn't christened as a kid. He said, I was dedicated under the flag of the Salvation Army. Now, the Salvation Army, do you remember them? They come in the pub blowing the trumpets and selling the war cry. That started off as a charismatic renewal with the poor and the needy in our slum cities. General Booth, powerhouse of God. These things tend to fade a bit sometimes. But he said, Len James, I was dedicated under the flag of the Salvation Army. My dad, he said, used to preach the gospel in Liverpool city centre. My dad heard the word gospel. Oh, there's my glimmer. And he came and he went to that church. And he, they wondered what they got. There was complaints galore. Because he began to talk about sin and needing to repent. And these people, Len James, one of the first to come to Christ. You see, people don't know. The church, the book, the book can be lost in the church. And my dad, you know, said in those days you were either a gospel guy or you were a bit of a liberal kind of wet fish kind of character. There was only a, there was a demarcation line. But before my dad went to glory, he said, you know, it's changed now. He said, the guys who were preaching the gospel, sadly... They're a right mixed bag. There's a bit of everything in there. And it's as if a Trojan horse, anyone remember Troy? When they all broke into Troy and they went in a big wooden horse and they went in like this thing and then they all came out and took the city. It's a little bit like in the evangelical world, that's the gospel world, this Troy thing's come in and all these liberals have got out. It doesn't really matter about marriage. You know, it doesn't matter. You know... Is the Bible really God's word? Should we just read the red bits? Anyone heard that? Just the red bit. You know, if you have a Bible with a red letter, it's all the words of Jesus are in red. Let's just read the red, forget the rest. It's a bit too heavy. You know, we're, we're new. this is our generation now. No. This book transcends culture. It can transcend every age. Are we going to be truthful to God's book? Because these people creeping in. I don't know if you follow Christianity on YouTube and some of the things that are going on with well-known churches, let me say. Worldwide known churches and leaders. And it's as if it's starting to crumble. You see, we can't reach the world out there by trying to be like them. They really don't, they don't really want that. It doesn't work when you lose a child. You know, when it's all about the froth and bubble of this and when suffering comes and knocks on the door of your life. Unfortunately, it has the opposite effect. Well, I tried it, Christianity. It didn't work. Look what happened. I want to tell you, folks, Christianity 
promises to take you through life. It doesn't promise you an easy life. In fact, Jesus said, all who follow me will be persecuted. If they hated me, and he's not talking about, he's talking about the system, really. This world, if it hated me, it's going to hate you. And that's what's in this letter of Jude. Really quickly, there are two dangers in the church. You know, we want to walk, it's as if there's a line. I'm not trying to say where you're It's as if there's a line. We've got to walk the line. We've got to walk the line. But on one side of the line is the lure of legalism. Now you think legalism, what it's been a I know I worked in the law enforcement world, but I'm not talking about that. In the Old Testament you'll come across anyone heard of the law? Yeah? You've heard of the law and that Jesus came to he fulfilled it all. And we are we're no longer under the law. You ever heard that? It's true, folks. He's fulfilled it all. But I want to tell you something. In Galatians, Paul says, stay online with the gospel. Don't try and do the law to make yourself right. Now, we're terrible as evangelicals for that. We think if I read more, I pray more, God will like me more. It's not true. God loves you. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. You don't have to add anything to that. It's not the gospel plus. It's the cross alone that saves you. But what was happening in Galatians where there were these people coming in and said, if you're really a Christian, you're Jewish, yeah? Or you, 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 you want to be a Christian, you need to get circumcised. You need to do all these things that you're supposed to do. No, you don't, Paul says. Don't let anyone tell you that. Legalism, and we all do it. But I want to tell you something about the law. The law, right? Three parts to it. Does anyone know what they were? The moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. Okay? So what do, what do they all mean? What the heck are you talking about now, Kenty? The law's in three parts. The moral law is the Ten Commandments. The civil law is if you're in debt or you've wronged somebody, you go and sort it out. There's procedures in the Old Testament for that. Well, Jesus sorted all that. He sorted the moral law. But the thing he did more than any of the others was the ceremonial. Because the law said, if you sin, you need to do this. But that's been finished. So when Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, he'd pay for sin per se. Done. Pay it on the nail. All done. Do you understand that? He completed the job there. But the, so the ceremonial law doesn't apply to us. The civil law doesn't apply to us. But guess what? The moral law, the Ten Commandments, still applies. What? You're confusing me now. I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian, it's not a list on the wall you're trying to keep. Does anyone know what Jeremiah said, the prophet in the Old Testament? The law will be written on your... On your what? On your heart. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't covet. It doesn't mean to say you're a Christian now, I can go and do them things. Jesus has sorted it all out. I just won't commit adultery. Which one? It's all been paid for. No! That's a wrong application, folks. See, when the law's in your heart, inside you, I don't want to do that. I want to live for him. I want him to be first. I've just told a lie. Oh, look, I'm really sorry. I've got to confess to somebody. I told a lie. I wasn't right doing that. But inside, something was saying, you shouldn't do that. It's not condemnation, it's conviction. So you've got this new person on the inside saying, oh, don't look there. That's a look. Oh, temptation. Look away. It's the, it's the God in you. So the moral law still applies to us, but it's on the inside. Does that make sense to you? But we don't have to do anything to get right with God. He's done it all. Legalism will try and make you do to be right. It's done. But the other thing, the other slippy slope, is hyper-grace. Oh, hyper-grace. This is what happens here. It's what he said. You see how it says, some men have slipped in unnoticed, turning the grace of God into sensuality, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Wow. The dangers of hyper-grace. Have you heard of hyper-grace? So, do you all know what the grace of God is? Something getting God's forgiveness and all the things that go with it for free. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You get it because of Him. You're looking at me like, that's amazing. That's the grace of God. Paul says in Romans, in Romans 6 verse 1, Shall we sin more because of the grace of God? In fact, let's read it out properly. I don't want to misquote it. Let me just read this to you. This is Paul, because everyone's saying, well, can we, well, how do we live now? What should we say then, Paul says? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, it doesn't matter, it's covered, isn't it? By no means. Paul says, how can we who died to sin, as if we died on that cross for Jesus, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into his death were buried, therefore with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. You don't want to sin? That's the old thing. Paul says in Titus, Titus 2, he says this to, to, to this young prodigy. Someone's nicked Titus from the Bible. I will find it. There we are. You know this verse, I, I, I quote it quite often. Titus 2.12, listen to this, in 11. For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Waiting. Waiting for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wow. The, great, the grace of God teaches you to say no to sin. Oh, I thought it was all all right. No. That word trains, it means discipline. Anyone, anyone like discipline? Ooh. But discipline shapes you and makes you. That's the purpose of it. When I was at training school in my former life, on a Monday and Thursday morning, in winter, at 6am we had to be on the parade square in shorts and vest for a 50-minute run in the snow and whatever was on. Believe me, it was dis... But do you know what? I hated it. But it put something into me. You see, discipline is a good thing. It's part of the word what? Disciple. Disciple. So you've got to be careful, folks, that you don't fall either side of the line. Don't get into legalism, trying to justify yourself by your efforts. And don't just live a loose life. Don't live a loose life. It says this in Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all of us are partaking, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Beside this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. You know, how many kids love discipline? No. But the Bible goes on to say that in time it produces a harvest of righteousness. Don't get into hypergrace. Don't get into legalism. This book, even this first part, beware of people who will say these things. Sadly, you'll see them on the telly, on certain Christian channels. Be careful. Be careful. You know, God doesn't promise you riches in this life. Anyone heard of the prosperity gospel? Well, the, I'll give you a clue straight away before I'm going to finish now. But anything that is attached to gospel in itself is, is dodgy. The gospel is the gospel. There is no prosperity gospel. God blesses us. <laughs> he blesses us. But to say prosperity as part of, that you are, you'll be, you're, you are guaranteed to be rich, is a lie. It usually involves having to give lots of your money. You know Martin Luther, you've heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer, 1500s, the one who brought about the Reformation, the breakaway from the Catholic Church, Protestant faith, salvation by faith alone. Do you know, what, do you know the thing that started him off? In Rome. They would run out of money. So this 
this cardinal called Tetzel said, I've had an idea, Mr. Pope. Let's get all the old bits of saints, like one of Jesus' hers, or a piece of the cross, or one of Murray's whatever, which the Roman Catholic have loads of what they call, do you know what they're called? Relics. They're called relics. So he said, what we'll do is, we'll take, you can come and look at the relics, and you pay an amount, and if you pay the right amount of money, you won't be in purgatory as long. Or your relatives will be released from purgatory. Oh, what a great idea. That's a good idea. And then Martin Luther heard about this in Germany, in Wittenberg. Just, a, just an ordinary monk. He was disgusted. Well, purgatory doesn't exist anyway. There is no such place in the Bible. Have a look. Check it out. Not there. That doesn't exist. And he said that if the Pope's got such power to get people out of purgatory quicker, why didn't he do it for free? So that, and amongst other things, one day he wrote a big list and he pinned it to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral just in time for the printing press. And it went viral. And the gospel was proclaimed that the free gospel of Jesus Christ is what we are building on. But there are two paths you can go by. God's path or the path of this world which will take you to hell. Make a choice. Make a choice. But I want to say to you folks, Let's walk the line. Let's be a people of the book. And let's be a people committed our whole lives to the Lord. Notice that. The Lord Jesus Christ. And live by His Spirit. Amen. Amen.